I'm Jonathan Goldstein, host of Wiretap. Each week you're invited to listen in on my telephone conversations, whether funny, sad, wistful, or even slightly strange. You never know just what you might hear on Wiretap. Uh, I mean, I knew you had a show. I just, I just didn't think that people actually listened to it. Howard, That's you... the breath of your genius, Jonathan. It's not just that you're funny, but you can be cripplingly, poignantly depressing. The Wiretap Archives, available on CBC Listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This podcast is an extended version of The Debaters, which may contain more mature themes. To stream the radio-friendly version of this episode, download the CBC Listen app or go to cbc.ca slash thedebaters. And thanks for listening to the CBC. Hey, Canada, we're ready to be heard and be seen. From beautiful BC, it's The Debaters! comedians fight with facts and funny and this audience picks the winner now here's a man who says bc means best comedy steve patterson hey hello canada welcome back to the debaters we're here in beautiful vancouver british columbia a place where the housing market is always in the news recently a house that was reported to be haunted was torn down to make way for condos, which makes sense, because if you live in Vancouver, you've only got a ghost of a chance of affording real estate. (laughs) The stories, though, about just how haunted this house was are incredible. Legend has it that the family had just moved in, and the next day they woke up on the lawn with all their possessions surrounding them, except, of course, for their Casper mattresses. (laughs) Now, are you ready to meet two friendly debaters who won't ghost us? Looking forward to this one. When this comic was asked how much whiskey he'd consumed, he pleaded the fifth. It's Winnipeg's Dean Jenkinson! (laughs) Dean Jenkinson, making his way to the stage. Making his way over to my right. And these two comics can turn two apples into a pear. It's the world's greatest improvised rock and roll comedy duo, David and Ken, AKA Citizen Hurricane. Come on out, David and Ken. Hello, Steve. Hello. Hi, Steve. Hi, guys. Nice to see you. We're getting set up. David and Ken are both putting their guitars, getting clipped in. Uh, David and Ken, let's establish for the crowd who's David and who's Ken, please. I am David. I am Ken. (laughs) Thank you. Your topic is one that we hope will have our listeners standing up and cheering. Music is, hearing it live, the best way to experience it. This is a relevant topic because live concerts are back in Canada in a big way now. So I assume crowd surfing will also resume. (laughs) I've never tried that but I did couch surf for a while at a friend's place. (laughs) Went a little longer than I thought. So he would wake me up in the morning with songs, like, hit the road, Jack. (laughs) And and then I would play the clashes, should I stay or should I go? And then he would play Tom Petty's, don't come around here no more. (laughs) 
So I said, I'm leaving on a jet plane. I don't know when I'll be back again. And he said, good. <laughs> so, whereas concerts connect fans to the magic of song and the personalities of the artists, be it resolved that all music should be experienced live. Dean, you're arguing for this, please, my friend. You have two minutes, starting now. Dean Jenkinson. People remember and cherish live music experiences for the rest of their lives. We tell concert stories decades later. Has anybody ever bragged about listening to music at home? <laughs> oh, you saw Prince live at Coachella? Well, one time. I played Purple Rain on my boombox. My seats were amazing. I was literally this far from the play button. <laughs> Do you think the inmates at Folsom Prison talk about the time that Johnny Cash played there live or the time he came on the radio? <laughs> and let's be honest, has the radio ever slipped anybody weed? Live music is magical, it's authentic, it's multi-sensory, it's communal, uniting strangers in a shared emotional experience, like a sermon or a fondue. <laughs> During the pandemic, you could listen to all the recorded music you wanted. How did your mental health do? <laughs> do you know what the CIA has used for decades as an effective form of torture? recorded music. <laughs> Think about that waterboarding, electrodes on your genitals, recorded music. <laughs> if recorded music is better, show me your collection of $60 t-shirts commemorating records you've heard. Show me the airline tickets you bought and the hotel reservations you made so you could stream songs on Spotify. And tell me about that time, 10 minutes after you finished listening to an album, you were in the dressing room sleeping with the artist. <laughs> By a quick round of applause, how many have heard debaters on the radio? And how many think it's better experiencing it here live? Jenkinson, yeah! Now, here singing a different tune about live music and hoping to be instrumental in changing the audience's minds, here are David and Ken! As powerhouse comedic musicians, our stance may surprise you. Here's a little secret that no other professional musicians will ever admit. Live music is killing us. Performing live is a nightmare. It's destroying our friendship. And you're making us do it! Try spending six hours a day together in a 2004 Toyota Echo with no AC. I'm 6'1". David has IBS. 
Ken thinks he's a better musician than me. I am. Live also forces us to deal with something even worse than our own company. All of you. <laughs> the audience. You are terrible. Don't get us wrong. Individually, you are absolutely lovely. But together, you are a soul-crushing tsunami of judgment and bodily functions. <laughs> According to science, 14% of the air in this room was made up of what is known as flatus. <laughs> Guess what that is? You're right! Now look at that person in front of you. Look at that head. Look at them. Enjoy that head. Because you're about to become close, intimate friends with that head for the next two hours. Now touch that head. No, don't touch that. Don't touch it. 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 And anyone six feet or taller, stop going to concerts. Nobody wants you there. It's true. You don't belong. So now that you've seen behind the smelly, beer-soaked curtain of what our opponent calls magical and authentic, do you really want to be complicit by supporting the psychological carnage and sensorial torture that is live music? So do us and your filthy collective selves a favor. Buy our album, pop on your $300 headphones, and stay at home the way God intended. <laughs> David! And Ken, on why live music isn't worth it. All right, we got ourselves a debate. It's time now for the bare knuckle round. We're asking whether all music should be experienced live. So as the ticket masters of your own craft, it's time to amp up your points or it could be a sing-along night. <laughs> You're mosh pitted against each other. So blow your own horns now. So what I understand is that your big argument against live music is it's no fun for you. Nailed it. The performer. <laughs> and I just want to say on behalf of audiences, I, we, we don't care. We, <laughs> it's your job. Nobody likes their job. Make the music song, monkeys. We want live music. <laughs> Dean, Dean earlier on was suggesting that if you go to live performance, you get to sleep with the artist. Who here would like to sleep with us? <laughs> no, no. Oh, yeah? Why? So you can tell everyone how small it is? For the radio listeners, that was Ken speaking. So if, I, if I'm following the train of thought, no more live performing, stay home and you sleep with each other? Is that how? 
Now, Dean keeps talking about recorded music being akin to having electrodes on your genitals. I believe you referred to that earlier. I should be so lucky. At least electrodes aren't constantly saying that Jim Carrey guy is so good on guitar. I look like Jim Carrey. For the radio listeners. It's kind of you guys to do the play-by-play. It's all good radio when you explain the jokes. <laughs> That's the man up around, everybody. Yeah. It's time now for the firing line. In my hand, I have a list of questions on live music brought to you by going to a concert with your dad. You know what's way more fun than staying for the encore? Beating traffic and listening to the album on the way home. Let's go, Steven! <laughs> OnStageSuccess.com says the keys to a successful live show are playing your best songs, moving well on stage, having good visuals, and what? David and Ken? Being under 50. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> Dean? I believe it's mushrooms. <laughs> says, play your best songs, move well on stage, have good visuals, and don't stick to the recorded version of your song. Yeah, people love that. <laughs> According to a poll on CNBC.com, more than 25% of Gen Zs and millennials say they'll do what in order to attend a live show? Dean. Leave their parents' basement. <laughs> points from the audience for that one. 25% um, of Gen Zs say that they'll go into debt to attend a live show. <laughs> go into. <laughs> According to guitarworld.com, when performing at an open mic night, what should you never do with the microphone? David? Plug it in. <laughs> When performing at an open mic night, you should never let your lips touch the mic. <laughs> what well-known phrase coined in 1956 was used to stop live audiences from demanding too many encores? Dean Jenkinson. Is it stop crying or I'll give you a reason to cry? <laughs> it, it, it is not. That's, that's something else going on there, Dean. <laughs> Ken? We're done! <laughs> uh, the phrase that was coined in 1956 to stop live audiences from demanding too many encores, Elvis has left the building. 1956, that's what we were doing. I guess it was originally for Elvis. <laughs> that's the firing line, everybody! Almost time for our Centennial Theatre audience to vote. But first, here again to go on record and tell us why they are dead set against live music, let's hear again from Citizen Hurricane, David and Ken. Steve, we'd like to respond ironically by playing some live music. <laughs> One, two, three, four. 
What's the point in waiting in those lines? Of being in a rush trying to get there on time. Only to arrive and see a pretty average show. Standing in a smelly crowd, wish you didn't go. And now you're driving home and feeling angry. Someone puked on your shoulder, read your Metallica tea. Listen to music, how it's meant to be. At home, in your gaunch, on an MP3. Hey! Don't make us pay for you lies. It's wrecked our friendship, now we're dead inside. Don't make us pay for you lies. Buy our CDs and merchandise online. Very nicely. Keep it going, keep it going. I think I'm going to get in. Here we go. Okay. I'll tell you the point of waiting in line It's being there for something that only happens that one time And feeling fully energized Taking in that show Not standing doing dishes and listening to your radio And when you're driving home, you're as happy as can be You saw your favorite band before they OD'd So listen to music, how it's meant to be Live at Centennial Theater in North Van B.C. Hey! Be her life when it's not You feel dead inside I said all music Should be her life Not like millennials who live online Don't make us Play for you live Come on fellas but you sound divine Don't make us Play for you live Don't be little sucky babies who whine All music Should be her life Don't listen to the He's full of lies All should be her life. Please don't try and make us cry. Make them cry, everybody. <sighs> Woo! That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. David and Ken Citizen Hurricane with accompaniment by their opponent, Dean Jacobson. Yes! Could end this way. We was know. a great live song. I wish you could. Yeah. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> it's time to vote, Centennial Theater. Who thought that Dean's live music mic drop musings were just the ticket? Dean Jenkinson. they just saw. And who agreed with David and Ken that at this stage of the game it might just be curtains for live music? David and Ken. Well, you put me, you put me in a weird position here. The winner of the debate, because I think you enjoyed what you just saw, is Dean Jenkinson for live music, but David and Ken, you were too good, that's why you lost. Big hand for Dean Jenkinson and David and Ken. You're listening to The Debaters on CBC Radio 1. Want to be a part of the debating action? For upcoming tour dates, visit cbc.ca slash the debaters. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. 
We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of the Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at the Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Vancouver, are you ready to meet your next pair of debaters? Then meet them, we shall. This comic once tried her hand at engraving, but was unable to carve out a name for herself. It's Julie Kim. Julie Kim, BC's own. There she is, striding across the stage to my right. And this comic once performed in a prison and had them paroling in the aisles. It's Wes Borg. Wes Borg, another BC comedy treasure. Your topic is one that is sure to make your mouth water. Fine dining. Is it the best culinary experience that you could enjoy? <laughs> Recently, multiple Vancouver restaurants were awarded Michelin stars. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I guess you could say Michelin gave them a good year. Of all the foods associated with fine dining, lobster still tops the list, but it's amazing how quickly that changes when you put the word red in front of it. <laughs> I used to work at Red Lobster in my 20s. True story. I may even write a book about it called Red Lobster Tales. <laughs> but just by saying that, I may have broken a contract clause. <laughs> and that's shellfish of me. Now let's see if these debaters can crack us up. So, whereas high-end restaurants offer the world's best in food, beverage, and atmosphere, be it resolved, no culinary experience is better than fine dining. Julie, you are arguing for this, please. You have two minutes, starting now, Julie Kim. Thank you. I am 100% team fine dining above all else, including, God forbid, microwaving it myself. <laughs> we are not here debating about having money or having no money. I grew up poor. I ate canned food, frozen food, junk food, and on good days, fast food. I'm still working off the preservatives <laughs> and the shame. Um, <laughs> With fine dining, you can eat so many more things safely. Like raw beef in gourmet food is carpaccio, you may know that. Raw beef in fast food is diarrhea. <laughs> and a lawsuit. Um, at fine dining, you can eat a little something to prepare your appetite for your meal. It's called an amuse-bouche. At unfine dining, there's also a precursor to your meal. It's called Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> Look, I love, I love to go out and sit at a fancy table with fancy clothes and then cover those clothes with a pristine white cloth napkin. You know, the thing that looks most gross when food is on it. <laughs> Sometimes I have to opt for fine dining establishments. I mean, it's the only places where my white girlfriends can go. <laughs> they have so many allergies. <laughs> Thank you. Julie Kim, everybody, saying that fine dining is the best way to go. Now, 
with absolutely no reservations about telling us how he was born with a greasy spoon in his mouth. Here's Wes Borg. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks. Okay, look, first of all, uh, let me say that I understand that this is a very important debate. In fact, I don't think we've had a debate this polarizing since the Supreme Food Court overturned Roe v. Caviar. <laughs> I know it takes a second, but it's... That joke's three layers deep. You just take your time with it. <sighs> I hate fine dining. And I don't hate it because of all the food they throw out or the crappy working conditions for the workers. I hate fine dining because I can't afford it. I'm, I'm just a middle-aged, working-class comedian trying to make ends meet on a debater's salary. I can't afford fine snacking. Can't afford pants. Listen, if I'd maybe bought Bitcoin early, or maybe if every single financial decision I made since 1987 wasn't incredibly exactly wrong, Maybe then I'd have a couple hundred bucks to throw down on a luxurious, ant-covered scallop amused freaking boosh. <laughs> and look, I, I understand that maybe not every single man is like me, you know, poor. And I, I guess if you're a dude who is comforted by pretension and you enjoy having indentured servants bow and scrape and laugh at your toxic flirty man jokes, then maybe fine dining is for you. And hey, if your date really needs a million pieces of silverware and a sprig and a drizzle on every dish that for some reason has to look like a lady's hat, then I get it. You two are perfect for each other. But honestly, if an arrogant $1,000 meal is what it takes for you to impress someone, then buddy, you must truly suck. <laughs> Wes Moore, making it all about the dollars. It's time now for the bare knuckle round. We're debating whether fine dining should be to everybody's taste. Keep your opponent at flambe, or you might get served with a balsamic reduction in points. Might I suggest a creme fraiche approach with your amusing bouches? Time to begin with zest now. Okay, Wes, in your opening argument, you're all like, I hate fine dining because I can't afford it. Like, what makes you think that in the year 2023 that you have to pay for the meal on a date? Because you're the guy. Why? I feel there's a trap here. <laughs> You considered the possibility that men shouldn't have to pay. Really? Okay, it's a trap. You have to pay. Obviously, you, you have to. Awesome. You have to pay. I get it. I get it. It's just, I, you know, I'm never going to be a sugar daddy. It's just never going to oh. happen. Okay, Wes, how about after this, I'll take you for a nice fine dining meal. What do you think? Do they have doggy bags? Do you have a dog? No, it's for me. Oh. Okay, uh, we'll go. Uh, you know the rules, though. I know. Separate tables. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the bare knuckle yeah. round, everybody. 
It's time now for the firing line. In my hand, I have a list of questions on fine dining brought to you by Fine Point Pens. <laughs> They're fine, I guess. But some just can't see the point. Restaurants are awarded Michelin stars based on quality, value, consistency, and what unique category? Julie. Keeping the poor people out, huh? <laughs> I love that some clap to that. <laughs> Wes? The swimsuit competition. <laughs> you, might, you might have found a loophole here, Wes. Uh, based on quality, value, consistency, and how the food reflects the chef's personality. Exactly. It's the kind of thing that makes you want to stab a restaurant critic, isn't it? <laughs> Formal dining etiquette says that you should never do what with a menu? Wes. Um, read it on the toilet. is not the answer I have here, but I'm almost sure that's also a good, good guideline. You're not supposed to take it completely off the table. One part of it must be touching the table at all times. So certainly, yeah, yeah. If you're in the toilet, yeah. I would assume. Some people don't have a table at their toilet. <laughs> Some people do not. The restaurant Noma, which is considered to be the best in the world, has announced it will permanently close in the year 2024. What was the reason given? Julie Kim. Oh, because Noma is actually short for Noma Food For You. Huh? <laughs> Audience has given two points for that. Westborg. Uh, they ran out of curly fries. <laughs> So close. Uh, they are closing because they say fine dining is financially and emotionally unsustainable. So no more Noma. That's the firing line, everybody. It is almost time for our Centennial Theater audience to pick a winner. But first, here again with the meat and potatoes of his argument against fine dining, let's hear more from Wes Borg. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. If you think a restaurant is superior because they got a star from a tire company, you're even stupider than me. <laughs> Fine dining exists because rich people need to be pampered. You know who else needs to be pampered? Babies. <laughs> if you think that fine dining is the best food you've ever eaten, you're probably right. And here's why. Your soup tastes perfectly salted because of the underpaid kitchen staff's tears. <laughs> if you had a good time at a Michelin star restaurant in downtown Vancouver, who am I to judge? But you should probably take a cab home because the tires on your Tesla are definitely gonna be slashed. <laughs> Maybe the Michelin man can help you out. I don't know. Yeah. Thank you. West Ford. <laughs> West Ford against fine dining and certainly making me think twice about the soup. Thanks, Wes. <laughs> now, here again, hoping that you'll savor every succulent morsel of her appreciation of fine dining, it's our own fine, Julie Kim. 
Okay, look, it's easy to hate things because they're expensive and, well, better, okay? But remove the ego and the money, and there really is no argument. Fine dining is art. It's talent, skill, dedication, and there's so much cultural food ignorance in this world. Like one time, I was at a Chinese restaurant, and there was an older Scottish lady, and she knew that my parents were from South Korea, a totally different country than China, as I hope you all know, right? <laughs> yes. And knowing this, she said, Julie, I've always wondered, Korean food, is that just like Chinese food? Ignorant, so offensive. And I said, no, but I've always wondered, Scottish food, is that just like uh, garbage? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, and oh my God, uh, no offense to any garbage if you're here. Um, so in closing, please treat yourself to that fine dining. It's amazing and it'll even get rid of the taste of garbage. I mean, Scottish food, thank you. Julie Kim says that fine dining is indeed the finest dining that you can do. Julie, if Scottish people rush the stage, I can't help you. <laughs> Audience, it is up to you to pick a winner. By applause, who thought that Julie's hand-picked and locally grown organic argument on fine dining was the easiest to digest? Julie Kim. Okay. Support for Julie there. And who thought that anything else Wes said against fine dining was just gravy, Wes Borg? <laughs> They've done it. They've done it. They do not believe fine dining is the best. The winner is Wes Borg. Big hand for Wes Borg and Julie Kim, everybody. Well, that's all for this week. I'm Steve Patterson saying to my old manager, Dave at Red Lobster, I totally cheated on that shrimp appetizer selling competition. Sorry, I had to find out like this. I'll argue with you again soon, Canada. Good night. The Debaters is created by Richard Side. This week's episode was produced by Josh Bailey, Graham Clark, Chloe Edbrook, Nicole Callender, and Tracy Rideout. With continuity by Graham Clark, Diana Francis, and Gary Jones. Technical production by James Perella and Jeff Walter. Story editing by Gary Jones. With special thanks to Katie Ellen Humphreys and David Pride. Executive producer of CBC Radio Comedy is Lee Pitts. And thanks to everyone at the Centennial Theatre in North Vancouver. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.